tonight on Huckabee, former White House budget director Russ Boat, town hall senior columnist Kurt Schlichter, family magicians David and Tisha Laughlin, remembering Elvis with James Burton and the Imperials. That's Trey Corley in the Music City Connection. And I'm your announcer, Keith Filbury, and now, here's Mike Huckabee! Oh, wow. Thank you very much. We have a, an amazing studio audience here. I love it when there's some excitement and energy out here in the crowd, and we have it here tonight. And we've got a great show lined up for them as well as for you. So don't even think about getting up out of your recliner and going for anything until we're done. Unless you DVR'd and you hit pause, then you can come back. That'll be fine. Now, I want to say something about Oh, a lot of happening right now. But people who make threats against judges, politicians, or any law enforcement officers, I don't care if it's local cops or out-of-control FBI agents, if people make threats, they ought to be accountable for those threats to the full extent of the law. And I've repeatedly said publicly <laughs> that I make no excuses for those who actually rioted at the Capitol on January 6th of 2021 or anyone who advocates violence against others for any reason. But I want to be equally clear that when we're told that even questioning authorities is the same as violence, I just got to throw the flag on that one. Uh, I mean, Attorney General Merrick Garland, he, uh, he paraded in front of the cameras to denounce those who made threats against the FBI agents after the stunning and, quite frankly, ridiculous raid on Donald Trump's home at Mar-a-Lago. But he sure didn't call a press conference, and he didn't send out the FBI to round up the people who threatened Supreme Court Justices Brett Kavanaugh or Amy Coney Barrett, and those protesters were acting in violation of federal law. They were marching in the streets in front of the homes of these justices. But he did say that he wanted to investigate parents who spoke up at school board meetings and even had the audacity to label them as domestic terrorists. Ditto for FBI Director Christopher Wray. And of course, soon to be former Congresswoman Liz Cheney. Yep who chimed in and claimed that demanding a fair, impartial, and unbiased investigation into January 6th would be a threat to democracy. Well, can I just tell you something? The real threat to democracy is having deep state swamp creatures use all the intelligence agencies and law enforcement personnel to abuse the rights of American citizens in unconstitutional search and seizure actions that target the political enemies of the Biden administration and the Washington insiders who, quite frankly, just hate Donald Trump more than they even love America. And despite what Liz Cheney or Merrick Garland says, it is not un-American to question the actions of the FBI or the DOJ, especially when they lie. Yes, when they lie to obtain warrants 
whether from a FISA court or some low-level magistrate who is a Trump-hating Obama donor. In fact, if we don't question these police state actions that are hidden in unreleased affidavits and search warrants, then we're going to be inviting more abuses of our fundamental and sacred constitutional rights. Now, look, we need some Republicans who will demand accountability for the actions of federal agents, not cover for them when they engage in abuse of power and treat federal agencies as the political tool of the Democrat Party. And the media, they ought to be ashamed of themselves, although we know they have no shame when it comes to their <laughs> stage four terminal case of Trump derangement syndrome. Now, if Donald Trump had ordered federal agents to storm the Martha's Vineyard beach house of Barack Obama or the personal home of James Comey, the media talking heads would have their empty heads exploding on live TV. And the civil liberties attorneys would have rushed to court demanding cease and desist. But when the target is Donald Trump, our conservatives, our pro-life advocates, or even parents of six-year-olds, who may not want their children indoctrinated with critical race theory nonsense or some nutty ideas that boys as young as four can just declare themselves to be girls and make it so. And when that happens, then are you telling me we're supposed to just shut up and let the loony left take the country to the toilet? Not on your life. There is nothing patriotic about remaining silent when half our citizens are being branded as terrorists or when we're being told that loving God, respecting the flag and national anthem, and demanding equal treatment under the law is somehow unacceptable. So arrogant and elitist Liz Lincoln, uh, I'm sorry, Liz Cheney. <laughs> yeah. Cheney. She can spare us the lectures about how much better she is than the rest of us. But I hope one day she will repent of her pride and Trump hate and confess that having a scripted TV show called a hearing and not allowing cross-examination of witnesses or maybe insisting that witnesses had to have actually seen and heard what they testified of, I hope she'll admit that's not what really threatens democracy. But there is hope in all of this. There really is. Liz lost her seat in Congress by 40 points. Now, she thinks... She thinks the nation now wants her to run for president. How absurd. I think what people were trying to tell her was that she needs to just go and sit in the corner for a while and think about what she's been doing to her country. And maybe after she's thought about it, she can apologize and then she can come out and play. On the subject of CRT and other blunders of government, my next guest has plenty to say. Former budget director for Donald Trump and president of the Center for Renewing America, Russ Vogt. He's on right after the break. Don't you dare even think about going away. We'll be right back. MikeHuckabee.com and sign up for his free newsletter and follow at GovMikeHuckabee on Twitter. 
Welcome back. Russ Vogt served as White House budget director under the Trump administration. Before that, he spent over a decade working on budget issues on Capitol Hill, serving as policy director for the House Republican Conference under then-chairman Mike Pence. Now, these days, he's president of the Center for Renewing America, where former President Trump says Russ is doing a great job fighting for our great country and against woke nonsense and out-of-control government spending. Not that we have any of that, of course. But would you please welcome to the show Russ Vogt. Russ, good to have you here. Thank you. Good to be here. I, I want to get started with this bill, $740 billion that Joe Biden just signed into law this week. He says this is going to knock out inflation. Is that what it's going to do? No, it's unfortunately not going to be do doing that to inflation. Uh, it is a misnamed bill. It is expanding woke and weaponized government. And we could talk a lot about some of the specifics, but the inflation that they think that they are dealing with, none of the deficit reduction is anywhere near the next 10 years. So this is something that is misnamed. And unfortunately, the American people are going to get more government that is weaponized against them. 87,000 IRS agents, and all of them have to agree to carry a weapon and be willing to use it in a lethal manner. That's one of the... Provisions. I mean, that sounds almost like we made that up, but it's really in there, isn't it? There is 87,000 new agents as a result of $80 billion for the IRS. And just to give people some perspective, the Treasury Department only gets about $15 billion per year. So you're going to have $80 billion on top of that to have the IRS have audits as far as the eye can see. So if you're a small business and you're trying to operate as an LLC, that's the kind of person that is going to be dealing with an audit probably every year. And there's not 87,000 auditors out there. These yeah. are all going to come from the private sector. And that means that businesses are not going to have them to be able to defend against these people that are coming at them. I mean, I don't think people fully understand that when Joe Biden says nobody making under $400,000 a year is going to pay a dime of extra tax, it's simply not possible given this bill and the way that it's structured, and especially if someone owns a business and their business grosses 400000 even though they may actually take home 35000 Right. And, and, and if they're manufacturing, the new taxes that are in place are on manufacturing. And the reality that there are, um, and, uh, this is the beginnings of the Green New Deal. So the Green New Deal's economic incentives are put in place in this so that they can change the economy before they put the mandates in place. And there's also a substantial amount of slush funds that are directed at climate extremist non-government non institutions to be able to give them money straight from Uncle Sam so they don't have to go and raise money from big liberal donors. Russ, you're a budget guy, a numbers guy, an economics guy, but you have also taken on the idea of the critical race theory, wokeism in our government, pushing it on kids. Why do you think that that matters from a budgetary perspective? Well, I think it because what we're seeing now is not just big government, it's woke and weaponized government. And I mm -hmm. think we saw that front and center this week. Uh, but this was something that was an assignment Donald Trump gave me. He said, I want to get rid of CRT within the federal government. And we wanted to make sure there was an organization to do that once he was out of office. And so we have been able to really arm parents and, and school boards across the country to be on the lookout at, for it. But when you talk about this money that's going to the federal government, it is going towards the bureaucracies that are pushing it at the Department of Education and the EPA and others. Think about that. EPA is pushing CRT. 
you know, somebody mentioned that the same electricity that they're telling us not to use for our air conditioning would be the same electricity that we would need to power our car. I think I'd just rather have the air conditioning in August, you know? <laughs> so where does, this, where does this lead us as a country? I, I, it, nowhere good. Uh, we're headed towards uh, an economy that doesn't allow you to have energy conserving in the homes. Uh, it, it means a, a, a country that's less free, but it's, 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 we're not dealing with the 1970s liberalism. We're dealing with a much more hard edge big government that sense in the environmental context, think about it, this is the Environmental Protection Agency that said to a 77-year-old Navy veteran, Joe Robertson, we're going to have you spend 18 of your last months on the earth before you pass away in prison because you built four ponds on your land to fight wildfires in violation of the waters of the United States Act. That's, that's real. That's real. That's the weaponized portion of it. So now we're going to now give $40 billion more to the EPA to be able to do that kind of stuff. That's what we're talking about when we are talking about woke and weaponized federal government. It's almost when people make policy like that, you just wonder, did they leave their brains on the nightstand when they went to work that day? What, what possesses people to think that that makes sense? I think it's a, a contagion that we has been fomented in our universities to say that this is not America the Great, this is America with deep-seated systemic issues of racism, so that it's a rejection of, of the civil rights movement, quite frankly, of, of equality under the law. They see the America and they see inequity everywhere they possibly can, and they want to level. And that has caused them to be at a fever pitch, so they go into these federal agencies and they just have no concept of who they're working for, and that's the American people. Are you pessimistic or optimistic about where, where we can go? Not where we are, but where we can go. I'm actually very optimistic because for the first time, the people who are rising up across the country are doing it with full recognition of the cost and the consequences and going to the microphones at the school board meetings anyways. They know already that the FBI considers them a domestic terrorist because they, can, they are concerned about CRT. But they're going to the microphone anyway, knowing that they may lose their job if they talk about grooming in, the, in public schools. Ten years ago, we were asking people to go and talk about the high premiums from Obamacare. We're talking about a lot bigger, tougher issues, and they're going anyway. And when they do, and when they experience severe consequences, they're self-certifying that they are right and that they are on the behalf of truth. And they are attracting a wider group of people in this country. Millions of Americans will rally, and we will be able to take this country back. Do you see something, you know, I mentioned in the monologue about the Liz Cheney election. 40-point spread, that's unheard of. I never remember an incumbent member of Congress ever getting defeated by a margin like that, even if they were involved in some significant scandal, which hers was not a scandal. It was just people didn't like what she was doing. Was that a precursor, a sign? Was that a message out there uh, that, you know, Americans are paying attention? I think so. I think there's also a sign that they are trying to put one over on the American people with this January 6th committee. I mean, I think your audience's reaction to the fact of, of what she did, how she lost, is a sense of that this is a building uh, indictment against the establishment against those who really reject the America First correctives that, were, that we went forward with four or five years ago. And I think it is building, and I think we're going to be able to save this country in the next election. This bill has already been signed. It's now law. Um, can, 
any or all of it be reversed in the next Congress or with the next president? Much of it can. And I think that's where another place for optimism is we've got to say to Republicans, if you take the majority, you need to use the power of the purse to say that in January, this is going to be defunded. And we're not going to let you pass appropriations bills, which, by the way, Republicans, because of the filibuster, can stop this year. We're not going to let you pass a full year uh, spending bill so that we have an opportunity in January when the cavalry comes to repeal this nonsense. Let's hope it happens. Russ Vogt, great having you here. Thank you very much. Our audience can learn more about Russ Vogt. You can head over to Huckabee.tv. We've got all the links to keep up with Russ and his fight for American greatness, which we appreciate. Now, we got a great show ahead for you. Keith Bilbrey is standing over there just licking his lips wanting to tell you about it, so we're going to let him go. Well, prepare to be amazed by the family magic of David and Tisha Laughlin. Still to come, town hall columnist Kurt Schlichter. Well, as the cleanup of the floods in Kentucky continue, Samaritan's Purse is in the thick of it, bringing much-needed supplies and labor to the victims of this horrible disaster. And with that, the hope of Christ. Now, because of the financial gifts and prayers of people just like you, they're able to do this kingdom work and do it well. I hope that if you haven't already done it, you'll go to the Samaritan's Purse website, or you can call them and consider giving to their great work they're getting done. Thank you, and God bless. Well, my next guest, yeah, give Samaritan's Purse a hand. They are a wonderful organization. My next guests are internationally recognized illusionists whose mix of magic and inspirational messages of faith have wowed audiences on five continents, and they've even performed on the NCAA Final Four. Not many people can say that. They're also making magic a family business. Please give a big welcome to David and Tisha Laughlin and their family.
good evening. We are so thankful to be here with you tonight. Our family, we love to travel together and share through the art of illusion. One of the things that we love about doing this is getting people involved. So, Governor Huckabee, would you mind helping us with this next illusion? I may regret it. <laughs> I may regret it. If you could just stand right in there for I got to tell you, when I was watching that and those boys sticking those post in there, I'm thinking, I have two older sons that would love to have done that to their little sister, <laughs> and they would not have missed. I was going to say, I, I have to admit, it's one of our boys' favorite parts of the show. For wow. Sure. But after seeing and that, you're still willing to volunteer. You Is that right? Stand there. Yeah, step inside there if you would, please. You're going to help okay. us out. Uh, together, we're going to tie Tisha up. We start with this short piece of rope. It will go over her okay. wrist, and we'll tie a double knot. In fact, I don't want you to just watch, but also help. All right. So, Governor, if you take both sides of that, okay. just give it a good tug. Make sure it is a solid, strong knot. It's real. Without cutting off the circulation, oh, that yeah, is good enough. That. You can right. let go. Okay. Next, we'll take Tisha's hands, place them behind her back, and do the same thing right back here, another double knot. Okay. So here's the first one. Right. Here comes the second. Governor, one more time. Step on in there. Give that a good solid right. tug. Tisha, it's not personal. It's just business. Just business. <laughs> just business. That's But we so far, so good. Is that right? Yeah, so far. It's good. real Next, rope. we have the longer piece of rope. This rope will be placed over Tisha's head, mm. around her neck, We'll tie it one, two, three, four times. Uh, but we are not going to pull tightly on this one. If that's I think okay. that would probably be a good we'll idea. Take Usually it nice it's the and other gently, way around, right? right? Nice and gently here okay. around the first arm. Two times. All right. Second rope on the other side. Again, we go once and twice. Then together, the ropes come to the front. We'll tie them nice and tightly there, just like that. Uh huh. Yeah, Governor, okay. I can see you're not impressed so far. So far. That's okay. We have some extra rope. We'll tie one more knot. Let's take this one all the way around Tisha's waist onto the side right over here. One last double knot. In fact, if you would, step on over one more time and take both sides. Just make sure that okay. is a solid, strong knot. Yep. Perfect. Again, double you knot. Step right back there. All now, right. we want you to see that Tisha has been tied around the neck four times, around each arm twice. She's been tied on the side, in the front, and her hands have been tied together behind her back. Governor, you've done a fantastic job so far, don't Thank you think? Thank you very much. I'm a real magician, huh? You are a real magician. It, it does get slightly trickier from here. What I need you to do is go ahead and just face the audience, if you would. You can okay. place your hands at your side. Yeah, and uh, give them a good smile, if you can, please. We're going to try something just a little different. Oh, yeah. A moment ago, our job was <laughs> to do our best to tie Tisha up nice and tightly. Now, her job is to try to get out. Now, Governor, I know at this point it can get a little awkward. Yes. So we'll try not to make it last too long. We'll see if Tisha can escape. And if she can, it might look something just like this. Whoa. Where did she go? <laughs> That's pretty good. The jacket does not fit. But the rope's all over there. How Not did that quite. Uh, I don't exactly know, but I do know she has your jacket. Yes. Can you do me a favor and check out her hands? Make sure they're still tied. They While are. You begin there. I'll start they're on the other side. Tied. Perfect. Yes. Governor, if you would untie her hands for me, please. Let's see if I can I'll do it. I'll start on this side. I want you to see that Tisha is still tied nice you tied and tightly this thing on the up side. Pretty hard. Yeah, I should have warned you. We have to untie these later. Yeah. She's still tied both above and I below can't. the jacket, all the way around into the front. We'll get this one untied here as well. She's still tied around the first arm once and huh. a second time. Still tied around the other arm as well once 
and twice, and she's there. still tied around the neck. One, two, three, four times. Wow. And Governor tied some pretty good knots. I'll take your rope. Let's take a step forward. Let's hear pretty Patricia amazing. and the amazing Governor Huckabee. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Well, it didn't fit her, but that's okay. That's, that's crazy. <laughs> Well, thank you for putting up with us. We appreciate it. We love having you. Absolutely. Now, do you want to see more of the magic of David and Tisha Laughlin? I bet you do. Well, you can. You can also book their inspiring performances for your venue. How do you do that? Well, if you go to Huckabee.tv, we will magically connect you. Right now, Keith, he's not going to disappear. He's going to appear so he can tell us what's coming up next. Voila. Brace yourselves because no holds barred conservative writer Kurt Schlichter is just ahead. Then put on your blue suede shoes as we remember the king of rock and roll on Huckabee. why the audience is applauding so wildly. Let me explain. While you're taking a break from the show, our audience is being treated to the best music in America, courtesy of Trey Corley and the Music City Connection. A big hand for him. Our next guest, Kurt Schlichter, is a trial attorney, retired Army colonel. He's a best-selling author. He's also one of the funniest darn columnists you're ever going to read these days. He's the senior columnist for townhall.com, a true favorite of the show. Uh, the people who helped me write my daily newsletter, they love this guy. We all do. And as we continue to focus on the midterms, I think Kurt's got plenty to say about it. In fact, he's got a brand new book. It's called We'll Be Back, The Fall and Rise of America. He's got some good news, and we need it right now. Please welcome back to the show for, I think, his fourth visit, Kurt Schlichter. It is my fourth, and thank you. <laughs> welcome back. Thank you. I haven't worn out my welcome yet, and I, I, I do have to say I am from California, but there is no way you are going to tie me up tonight. We won't do that. No, no. <laughs> Not my scene. <laughs> I want to jump right in, kind of where we left off with Russ Vote, and that is the, the very significant election. I don't mean to just, you know, beat the dead horse, as they say, but this was a big deal. It was a big deal to see someone in Congress lose a seat by that amount. What does that say about the electorate across the country? Well, if you're talking about Liz Cheney, <laughs> and nobody except on CNN is going to be talking about Liz Cheney anymore. <laughs> uh, maybe, maybe she can go on the road with Brian Stelter. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know it, it breaks your heart that he's lost his position there. Yeah, he's a potato. Um, <laughs> no, I, look, it, it, it is an absolute rejection of the total failure of the people who caused us to select Donald Trump in the first place. I mean, look, I like Donald Trump, but we chose Donald Trump 
over every single person the establishment offered us. Yeah. There were 16, I mean, gosh, uh, you know, tons of Republicans, tons of Democrats, and he was the one that the American people said, this is the guy. That tells you we're in trouble. Yeah. And she decided she wanted to be on the cutting edge of 2005. Well, it isn't <laughs> 2005 anymore. Yeah. Okay, the cruise ship conservatives, the losers <laughs> who never conserved anything, they are done, they are over, they are finished. We're moving ahead, we're gonna take our country back. And Kurt, don't you think that the frustration is that we would elect Republicans to the Congress and to the White House, nothing would change. And in the meantime, yes. our country was slowly drifting leftward to the point that now we have not just people who are liberal, we have people who are avowed, proud socialists who are setting the policy for the country. Oh, we absolutely do. And we had Republicans who wouldn't find, uh, fight back. Look at that 180 pounds of Miracle Whip stuffed in a $5,000 suit named Mitt Romney. What do you really think? <laughs> I mean, holy cow. The, the, the media said, we're gonna put him back in chains. You're killing your dog. You're, you're causing cancer. And he's like, thank you, sir. May I have another? <laughs> I, they, that is. That's not how you win your country back. We need people who can take a punch. We need people who can throw a punch, too. And that's the kind of Republican we're going to elect in 2022. I was... You know, Kurt, you're a warrior. Spent your life in the military, retired as a colonel. So we get it that, that you're ready for the fight. We got that. But here's what a lot of people will say. Oh, but we want to be nice. It's not Christian of us. Uh, to fight back, but we're really fighting for the very soul of our country and our constitution. Well, look, I, I look, I, I don't know how well I can speak as a Christian because I was a Methodist and I'm not sure they even have <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> but as I understand it, our Lord and Savior went in and kicked out the money changers and chased those bums out of the temple. Yeah. Seems like a pretty good paradigm <laughs> that we need to be following now. <laughs> There's been no accountability. I mean, it's not like his laptop is, is still in dispute as to whether it's valid. Even the New York Times has had to admit that it's valid. Well, look, you cannot have a free society where you have two systems of justice. One system of justice where this guy, you know, is, is doing his Tony Montana impression, right? And the rest of us are going to jail for taking selfies in the rotunda of the capital we own. Hmm. Good point. You can't, I talk about it in the book, we'll be back, Fall and Rise of America, and you guys all gotta buy it or my publisher is not gonna release my family. <laughs> uh, but look, it, it, it is so poisonous to a free society, and I know that veterans like me, you know, who served our country, I mean, I ran a heavily armed car wash, I'm no Pete Buttigieg, I'm no warrior, <laughs> but... <laughs> But, you know, I mean, I, I look at the oath I took to our country, and I look at the, I had the opportunity to see other countries up close. My wife, my beautiful wife, Arena, who's wandering around here somewhere, she's the really hot lady in the green dress. Uh, she and her family escaped from Cuba. They threw her grandfather in prison, in jail, for saying things hmm. for years and years and years. You know, I think, I, I think it's a lot of freedom-loving immigrants who really understand a lot of people who serve their country and a lot of people who backed up those of us who served. But there are a lot of Americans who think that the state of natural 
uh, of nature is a free country with prosperity and freedom. No, that's an exception. It's unusual. It's different. It's not like it normally is. We've got to preserve that, and we're being run by a country by the people who did not build this country. They do not feed it. They do not fuel it. They sure as heck, like the Cheneys, don't defend it. <laughs> One of the things that I love about your writing, and I think that's why this book is going to be a runaway bestseller, because everybody who reads your column will know you are a funny guy. You say tough things, but you say it with an incredible sense of humor, and you're fun to read. And I know that's going to be a big part of, of the book and, and why people will enjoy it. Uh, but, but I also want to say there's some things that aren't funny. No. For example, your beloved military that you have served faithfully, it's changed, and it has gone full woke. And now, rather than being primarily focused on lethality and being able to win a battle, make sure that we're diverse. Does that break your heart? Well, Governor Huckabee, uh, you know I'm a trial lawyer. I had the honor of representing the families of one of the uh, Marines killed in Afghanistan. I was there when the Marine Corps came and briefed them on the tactical situation, what their investigation found that happened. Uh, both lawyer, I used my lawyer side, I used my colonel side. Um, I want to report to you that the Marines themselves, at the battalion level, the company level, the platoon level, were outstanding. Uh, a lot of Marines were killed. A lot of officers were wounded, which meant they were up front with their troops where they belonged. But this... God bless them. But... But what happened there at the higher level, all the way up from the chair... The, chiefs of staff, to the president of the United States was a disgrace. They put our people in danger. They didn't give them the resources they needed. They had, they had months to plan. My battalion could have planned that mission in a, a weekend, and they didn't do it. And they put our soldiers right up against unvetted Afghans. They got our guys killed. But I want you to know, our guys never faltered. Our guys never hesitated. They did their duty. They are heroes, every single one of them. Mm. Absolutely. Absolutely. But they deserve leadership at the top they that will protect them. They deserve leadership at the top, not somebody spouting nonsense about pronouns and how the biggest threat to America is the weather. Yeah. Mm. They deserve leaders who understand that the role of the military is to deter our enemies, and when deterrence fails, to destroy them. That's what the military does. That's all it does. Outstanding. Well, now I think you'll know why you want to pick up Kurt's new book. We'll be back. And also, uh, check out his writings through the links that we have at Huckabee.tv. This guy is on fire. I love reading what he has to say. Now you understand a little more why and why we keep having him back. Speaking of being back, we're going to be back in just a little bit. Right now, Keith Bilbrey will tell you what is in store when we return. Oh, you're going to love this. Coming up, the iconic clothiers who dress the king. Later, a musical tribute to Elvis by James Burton with Elvis' original backup group, The Imperials, right here on Huckabee.
Huckabee.tv and get your very own Made in the USA Huckabee mugs, t-shirts, and more. Well, it was just over 45 years ago that the world lost Elvis Presley. Memphis and Graceland have been honoring the king of rock and roll this past week. Now, you may not know this, but the Lansky brothers played a pivotal part in bringing to life Elvis Presley's distinctive wardrobe, helping us celebrate the life of Elvis. From the iconic Lansky brothers in Memphis, the clothiers to the king, please welcome Hal Lansky. Thank you. How thank great having you here. Thank you, Governor. We've all seen these incredible costumes and suits that Elvis wore, and he got them from you guys. Right. We go back a long way. Uh, my dad saw this young man looking in his window. This was uh, uh, late summer, 1952, and my dad knew this young man was out of place. So this guy was looking in the window, and my dad said, come on in, young man. And this young man said, Mr. Lansky, I don't have any money, but one of these days I'm going to come in and buy you out. And my dad said, don't buy me out. Buy from me, and that's what started their friendship. My dad showed this young man a little, little respect, and uh, it's paid off even 45 years after his what death. What a yeah, great yeah. testimony right. of your dad, right. him being kind to somebody that looked like just some bum on right. the street. Right, he appreciated it. You know, Elvis worked around the corner. He was like an usher in a the theater. Yeah. And on Fridays, he, when he got paid, he'd come in. Maybe one, one week he'd buy a, a pair of pants for $1.95. Next week he might get a, get a sports shirt. And he kept coming and kept coming and kept coming in. And then one day he said, Mr. Lansky, Mr. Lansky, I'm going to be on national TV, national TV. And my dad said, that's great, Elvis, what show? What show? And he said, the Ed Sullivan Show. <laughs> and my dad said, whoa, whoa. You know, back then, the Ed Sullivan Show was like uh, America's Got Talent or The Voice. So, Bigger than any of them. Right. So my yeah. dad was showing around, matching up clothes and putting stuff together. And, and Elvis looked up. He said, Mr. Lansky, I got a problem. My dad said, what's your problem, Elvis? And Elvis said, Mr. Lansky, I don't have any money. And uh, my dad said, Elvis, you got a, you got a problem. But I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you credit, but you better pay me back. <laughs> So, uh, so the, the, you know, that was the Ed Sullivan show, September 9th, 1956, and my dad uh, was watching the show. My dad's never seen this young man uh, on on TV or anywhere, and at that time, he knew this young man was destined for stardom. Well, I'd say he was, in right. fact, destined for stardom. There's never been another like him. Right. This movie that just came out, uh, one of the things that's in the movie is a picture of, of Lansky Brothers. Right. The, the store. You know, I, I was, I didn't know if we were going to be in it when I saw that movie, I, I got so, so emotional. Um, my dad, you know, we, we this is our 75th year in business, mm. and at that time, I knew, you know, my, myself and myself and uh, th thank you, thank Absolutely. you, thank you. My, myself, I'm second generation, and we have third generation uh, Julie tonight. But at that time, I know my dad's legacy has been validated. It, it, it was un unbelievable. It's unbelievable. Well, your yeah. clothes were unique. It wasn't right. just like off the rack and it looks like something everybody else is doing. Was that your dad's vision? Yeah, you know, my dad was the first one to uh, flip his collar. We like to take uh, credit for the black and pink colors of the, uh, of the 50s. You know, uh, back then, men did not wear uh, pink, you know, and uh, uh, Elvis pulled it off. You know, Elvis, you know, everybody wanted to beat beat Elvis up because he was wearing pink and, and also he was taking everybody's girlfriends away. So, uh, so uh, Yeah, that's what really yeah, did that's, it. That's it what, ain't the yeah, pink, it's yeah. the girlfriends yeah, but, that got him. But, yeah. but Elvis shopped with us for three decades. He shopped with us, you know, when he, in high school all the way to his death. But, you know, the Lansky look is when Elvis looked his best, the 50s, when yeah. he was young and innocent. That's the a, that's a Lansky look. You meet him personally? I have, I have. Yeah, I was, you know, my dad's known as the, uh, the clother to the king. I'm known as the uh, delivery boy to the king. <laughs> So yeah. you would take the stuff out to Graceland. Right. 
right? Right. When he got when he got famous, you know, my dad said like Elvis was like a a fish in a fishbowl. He couldn't leave the mansion. He couldn't yeah. leave the house because everybody wanted wanted to talk to him. They wanted to have a piece of his clothing. It was it was just unbelievable. Yeah, and so. you've brought some things for us to look at. I right, think, haven't right, you? Yes. Tell us about it. Well, you know, the one on the right is the. Uh, a Louisiana hayride coat. That's the coat uh, Elvis wore in the in the early 50s. Um, uh, the one on the left, the uh, is the Milton Berle shirt, and that's the uh, that's the shirt Elvis wore uh, for the Milton Berle. And also, it's, that shirt is featured uh, so much uh, in the movie, the new Elvis movie. And uh, Austin Butler uh, wore that, and it was awesome. And also, I got a little surprise for you, Governor. You do? I brought you a coat. Just happen to have one in your side. Oh! It, so I, if you got time to change it on, yeah, yeah. This is. We're gonna try it on. Yeah, this, huh? this is the uh, this is the uh, jailhouse rock jacket. Elvis wore this. Uh, he wore this as street clothes, and he also wore this in the movie Jailhouse Rock. And if you notice the lining, we kind of tricked wow. it out with photos of my dad <laughs> and Elvis. Yeah. yeah. Let's give that a shot. Okay. I got it. Oh man. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. You know, how there are people that always wish that I would be in the jailhouse, but I don't know that I ever imagined that I would get to wear something as cool as this. Well, this will be cool when you, your next gig, your next gig. Which is tonight. Okay. Which I, awesome. Well, you got to wear that during the segment. You know what? Yep. What I love about this story is that your dad was nice to just some young man. There was no reason that he needed to be. He didn't right. see him as a guy who could go and spend a bunch of money in his store. Right. But he treated that young man with respect. Right. And I think it paid off beyond his wildest dreams. It's a great reminder to all of us, right. treat people nice no matter who they are, because they might be Elvis someday. Right. My dad always said, you meet the same people going up the ladder as you, go, as you do going down the ladder. So treat everybody with kindness. What a great, yep. great reminder. Hal, great to have you, you here. Thank you. Thank you. you can learn more about the fascinating Lansky Brothers history by heading to Huckabee.tv. Keith and I may just let Lansky's fit us in something extravagant. So yeah. I think that's a great yeah, idea. Keith, you. why don't you tell everybody what's ahead as we continue this salute to the legendary, one and only Elvis Presley. Well, you've got the jacket. Now if you can just copy the moves. Get ready to rock and roll and reminisce with Elvis longtime guitarist James Burton up next on Huckabee. still wearing the jacket. I may be wearing it all weekend long. I may not take it off for a month or so. I've never had a jacket this cool. I just haven't. So I'm kind of pumped. Well, tonight's musical guest was already a legendary guitarist who had worked with everyone from Ricky Nelson to Frank Sinatra. And then he got a phone call from a guy named Elvis Presley back in 1969. Elvis was making a huge comeback and he wanted the greatest guitar player in the world to help him form a Vegas band for that comeback. My next guest played with Elvis Presley for the rest of Elvis's life. It is a true honor to welcome back Rock and Roll Hall of Famer, one of the most celebrated guitarists of all time, James Burton. James, thank you. 
you, sir. Thank you, Governor. Thank you. You know, when I watch video of the Las Vegas gigs and the special from Hawaii and all, I mean, I'm always looking at him. That's James Burton, and I know this guy, and he's still on the stage with Elvis night after night after night. When he first called you and said he wanted you to help put that band together, did you think somebody was pranking you at first? Well, I was real busy in all the studios, and I had to make a decision. I said, I don't know if I have time to, to go do this uh, full-time gig. Yeah. Well, it kind of worked out that you did. It worked out. He was such <laughs> a great guy to work with and a great entertainer. One of the things that maybe people don't understand, when people went to work for Elvis, they usually stayed. It, he, he did not have a revolving door. People stayed with Elvis. Why well, he called me. He called me and asked me to put a band together, and uh, I had to think about it. But the more I thought about it, I said, you know, I think I'd like to do that. So when we started playing Vegas full time. He took good care of the people who worked with him, didn't he? He did, absolutely. And I, and I think that's one of the great legacies of Elvis that he, you know, we were talking about Mr. Lansky earlier, but that was one of the characteristics everyone has said about Elvis. He respected people. He treated them well. He was a good Christian boy and a great guy to work with. Uh, just, he got along so good with him. Fantastic. And James, I, and I'm being careful because I know you came tonight with some laryngitis <clears throat> and I don't want to push it, but. Yeah, I was looking so forward to tonight and I got here and I couldn't speak. Well, uh, you know, you speak with your guitar louder than anybody else in America <laughs> ever has. <laughs> if you never said another word, all you got to do is pick up that Telecaster and let it loose. But I can't uh, go further without just saying, you know, Elvis is. Legacy just has been coming back, the movie that was released this summer. I know you've seen it. Do you feel like that was a pretty good depiction of Elvis's life and, and the work that he did? Uh, yeah, I thought it was fantastic. Uh, uh, I could see some Grammys coming out of it. Uh, the singer was fantastic. Uh, I think uh, the Colonel did a good job. I was impressed, and I love the movie. Of course, I'm an Elvis fan, so it's easy to love it. But if it had been that it was harsh to him, I probably would have been very upset with it. But it didn't. It showed him as a caring person. Now, we also have a whole bunch of guitars here on the stage. And, uh, you know, that's another part of what you do is make guitars available for kids across America. Why is that such a big deal to you? I just... I just want to help the kids uh, continue our music legacy. And I just think uh, <clears throat> such a small thing for a great joy. And uh, I just love doing that. It's, uh, and we're going to, uh, we're doing these guitars, I believe, for the veterans, and, uh, the Vanderbilt uh, veterans. And your uh, foundation, uh, the James Burton Foundation, makes those guitars available. I think some of these that we have here tonight are gonna end up uh, with veterans at Vanderbilt Hospital. And uh, what a great gift that is to those who have served our country to put music in their hands. James, I'm not gonna try to make you talk because I know it's painful to do it. But uh, Keith, while we get ready for a musical tribute to Elvis, I'm gonna let you tell the viewers where they can get more of the wonderful music of the one and only James Burton. 
Now, to reach James' website and to see an exclusive performance of one of Elvis' favorite hymns, He Touched Me by James and Elvis' gospel backup group Terry Blackwood and the Imperials, visit Huckabee.tv. Now, performing That's All Right Mama with Trey Corley and the Music City Connection with Mike on bass, here's James Burton and the Imperials! (laughs) 